and nobody misses like this, man. It's crazy. Welcome back, everybody. It's Backlash Radio. Anthony Pino from Hook Optics. Nick Carullo from Front Runner down in Miami. Or this week we got Chris Moad from the Gulf Coast, uh, Pensacola, Florida native, I would say. And then I guess fish out of Orange Beach on the uh, best trade. Is it is it called? Yeah, yeah, the best trade. Cool, man. Well, we're happy to have you, man. Super excited. Talk about your career and. And your recent accomplishments and it's pretty 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 wild uh accomplishment you had you've had recently but we'll talk about that later but let's just get into where you're uh how you got in the fishing and and where you grew up so i'm originally from california but grew up in pensacola probably like you know most everybody grew up grew up fishing from a young age you know mostly inshore fishing and uh Fishing off the Gulf State here a lot at Pensacola Beach. My my parents would drop me off out there when I was a kid and kind of grew up a pier rat. But um, I, my parents or my dad had a center console growing up. Uh, and, you know, we would kind of tinker with trolling a little bit, you know, the older I got. And then, you know, caught my first Wahoo and, you know, kind of first taste of blue water. And it just totally, totally changed my life. Um, and I, I grew up two of my good buddies uh their fathers were uh boat captains one was a private captain and one was a charter captain and i kind of just just idolized their lifestyle from a very young age you know getting to spend time on those boats and you know i would do anything i could just to get to help them clean fish or you know wash the boat and just to be around the marina with them so you know i kind of decided from a really young age that that was what i wanted to do you know so didn't didn't go to college i kind of took the other route you know just went straight into fishing you know mostly private boating from the time i was let's see probably 18. i feel like for a lot of young kids that don't have a you know somebody in the industry like a parent that kind of breaks the mold for them you know they they got to do something to you know meet the guys and you know start getting rides and stuff so I worked at a tackle shop um, my senior year of high school, and that was kind of the way that I got to meet, you know, most of the charter guys and private boat guys. So it ended up working out good. I worked there for a few years, and then I actually worked at a kind of a nicer shop in our area, and that was where I got my first um, private boat gig, kind of half part-time at the store and then part-time on a boat called The Game On, and then it just evolved. I got a what kind of uh, boat was that? That was a 60-foot uh, Miller. They're a custom boat from, uh, I think they're in Panama City. Seems like. Enclosed bridge boat. It was, it was a sweet boat. It was set up for the Gulf, you know, a bunch of fuel and, uh, you know, big fish boxes and stuff. Just, I feel like a boat for the Gulf is, they have, you know, they can't just be a day boat. You got to have a ton of fuel and you know, ton of extra storage and beds and even just to bring enough food for, you know, six or eight guys for three or four days. You gotta you gotta have a, you know, pretty hefty galley. Unless you got coolers <laughs> and stuff just stowed everywhere. But yeah, then I, I worked worked on the game on for a few years and uh a buddy of mine started running a boat, uh fifty two Viking down in Costa Rica and I took a job down there, fished there for a season and um wasn't really happy with the program so i ended up coming back and freelancing um did that for 
be two years just fishing the tournaments and stuff with a few different boats and and then 2014 see i was probably 20 22 or 23 i um miles actually one of the other guests that you had he was telling me that the hoot was looking for a mate and they were leaving to go to the dr so I jumped on with them as a second mate and did did one season in the dr and then we did a full term season in the gulf and then um, the next year we went down to dr uh with a different second mate and i moved up to first mate and um and the captain got let go after the DR season, and I got a chance to run the boat when I was 24. Um, you know, while he was the owner was looking for another captain, and we made a few fishing trips, and we, you know, caught him pretty good. Um, those first four trips, I think we caught I don't know, 16 or 18 blue marlins and a handful of white marlins mixed in, so it just kind of worked out really good. And you know, super fortunate to have an owner like that that'll give a young kid. You know the opportunity to kind of take the reins, but you know he always asked me. He's like, "How do you like? How did you just know how to plan these trips and calculate all the fuel and this and that?" It's like, man, I just kind of been doing it from a really young age. I was always the the kid in the friend group who was the captain. You know, I always got to drive and do all that, and just made a lot of mistakes at a very young age that I, you know, was able to learn from. You know, we would charge out there on my dad's. Uh, 24 foot center console with two strokes, you know, go 100 miles to the rigs for a couple days. And <laughs> you break down enough time, you kind of learn your limits. But, you know, we only spent, I think one day we spent three and a half days offshore. I had to get towed in. And, but I obviously told him that all that after the fact, after I started running. Oh, no, you guys, <laughs> I mean, it's not kind of, it's not a fake it till you make it thing. You're, you're kind of there. So you're just yeah. kind of winging it. I mean, we were, when I first started running the blood money, I was about the same age, and I was just like, "I think I could do it." Yeah, yeah, sure. Can, it'll work out. Drive, yeah, can you drive the boat? Sure, yeah, sure, I can drive. But yeah, that everybody, everybody thinks that that. To a lot of owners, I think that's they think that's the hardest part. And I don't think that is. Yeah, that was the other thing working for uh, for Keith Richardson on the on the Hoot He was he was hands-on but he also gave me the freedom you know he was the engine room to him was the most important part of the boat which i still believe to this day so he wasn't you know he wasn't scared to get in there and kind of teach me things he was an engineer you know by trade so he was he was very sharp you know you weren't you weren't getting anything past that guy you know not that yeah. he would he was he knew more about boats than you know i felt like a lot of captains do so that was a great guy to learn from. And How many? Uh, sorry, what? Um, like, what's like the the scene and like marinas like there in Pensacola? I mean, there are a lot of boats to kind of choose from, or it's kind of scarce. No, it's pretty scarce. I, we had a, a bad hurricane come through a few years ago, and there's only a handful of marinas, and none of them are are you know too big. They can hold maybe two dozen boats or so. But there's not a very big sport fishing scene in Pensacola. I feel like most guys either based out of Orange Beach or Destin, you know, Hurricane Sally wiped out our only three marinas. So I would love to keep the boat in Pensacola, um, you know, be right by the house, but just, you know, they got a few years still to kind of build everything back up. Oh, got it. So did you, when you were growing up, when you started, when on the, on the who that, did you guys fish out of Destin or, or, or? Um, no, we fished out of Louisiana. That boat was on, uh, on the other side of the river from us in grand isle and um 
man, Grand Isle is a great spot to fish in the Gulf. It's it's kind of, you know, the center of everything. You can get to the rigs off Texas and still all the stuff off of Orange Beach. And it's very centrally located. So that was that was cool to fish out of. And it also was a good learning experience for me to kind of run out of an inlet that I wasn't as familiar with, you know, just kind of learn a new area, don't get too comfortable right off the bat. And I, I enjoyed fishing out of there. We we had some great fishing. And it's pretty the gulf fishery is kind of unique because it's it's very long. Like I've caught a blue marlin and a swordfish 12 months out of the year in the Gulf. You know, you can go out there and have a great day pretty much any time. The water at the rigs doesn't doesn't really ever get cold during the winter, you know. It's yeah. you know, 100 plus miles offshore and 7,000 feet of water. doesn't really get below, I would say, mid-70s out there. So after I started running the boat, um, I met, I'm sure you guys know, Tim Richardson and Garrett Penley. I met them down in the DR. And uh, before I took the captain's job, I agreed to go down and fish. Well, I didn't agree. I begged to go fish a season with Tim on the reef. And and uh, I already had my ticket. And also, my boss let me go. And he ended up booking a week to come down and fish with us. But but that turned out to be pretty awesome. I, I would give up anything to go back and fish another season on the reef. That was just <laughs> unreal. Talk about that a little bit. Um grind is the only way to describe it it's like i mean i've done some some long grinds but i was i think i was in the country for for 80 days and we fished 76 days in a row you know it was oh wow it was pretty awesome you know so you're basically you're basically on land for for 76 days like off in the ocean for 76 days yeah you're not coming yeah. back because you're anchoring out there pretty much yeah we would do our changeover um you know we would fish for like seven days and then do our changeover um and it was pretty much just to drop our laundry off pick up our groceries drop guests and go right back out you know we were only at the dock for a few hours when you think about you know if you take one day off in between every charter you know and they're three or four thousand dollar charters you gave up you know 20 or 30 grand that season so they can't really afford to have any downtime but um no the fishing was awesome i think we we caught just shy of 70 70 that season we didn't wow. Didn't what uh didn't weigh any, but I think you know, we had a handful that were right there at the number. I think we had three that we called nine fifty and you know, maybe another eight or so that were over eight hundred. Wow. So that gives, that's like a just a kind of the Harvard of sport fishing. If you want to learn how to heavy tackle fish and you know how to use a one thirty and actually bite a fish, I mean that's that's a really good spot to go do it. And those things are they're different, you know, they're not like a blue mon where they'll rip out a bunch of line. They kind of, you know, we had really short top shots and I feel like you never saw the backing, you know, he was, even if you had a 125 yard top shot, they rarely got down on the backing. It was pretty up close and personal, you know, really short fights, a lot of drag, you know, unless they did go down, but this, those guys are, they're so aggressive driving the boat. You know, most of the time you get the leader in less than five minutes and get some jumps out of them and, send them on their way wow yeah they are aggressive do you get that i mean i've seen a couple of videos of the who dat i feel like do you do you take that from them when you were on there i think you were on there when i saw the videos being aggressive like that yeah yeah man i feel like i feel like being aggressive you know one until you catch a handful of them i feel like you know in the beginning everyone tries to be like all right keep the boat in gear and mm -hmm. if you catch them quick like 
you know, or, or catch a lot of them. You got to catch them quick and catch them while they're biting. If they only bite for a couple hours, you know, you got to catch them quick for sure. You know, and the other thing I've kind of instilled in my mate is like when they're jumping early, you know, they're expending all that energy. They make a big run. If you can get back on them and get to them before they go down in that thermocline and recharge their batteries and then the fight starts all over again, you know? Yeah. Even trolling, you know, lure fishing, we still catch catch a lot of them really quick. Yeah. We haven't really done too much lure fishing the last few years. We kind of just pull bridge teasers and, and long riggers nowadays. And we do a little bit of live baiting now, but um, I'm definitely a trolling guy at heart. I can't really get into the live baiting too much. It's it's fun, but it's it's not the same. You know, yeah. it's everything though. I, I, this is the first year I've got to run a boat with an Omni and it's kind of hard, you know, when you're riding around the rig and, you know, you mark one and the only thing you got out there is, you know, two bridge teasers. It's like, why wouldn't I, you know, I've got all these tuna tubes. Why wouldn't I just drop one right on his head? Yeah. yeah. It's very effective. That's for sure. What did I, you, uh, what did you learn from fishing in Australia that you took to, to fi- tournament fishing in the Gulf, you know, like you got, you're, you guys are most of those tournaments in the Gulf. You're setting out to to kill one. You know, I, I right. assume that there'd be a fair bit that tran- that transfers. Really, just you know, don't be don't be afraid to to use the drag. I feel like you know, if you get him on a circle hook and you feel like he's hooked pretty good, if you can, you know, get him up to forty five pounds of drag pretty quick, you know, then break their spirit right away. You can catch a lot of them quick, but. You know, the heavy tackle fishing in Australia, you know, we were using, I think the smallest leader we put out was maybe like 600 or something. So it's more than I would ever use in the Gulf. But a lot of the guys here in the Gulf, they drop down to super light leader just to get the bite. And, you know, you end up fighting one forever. It's not really any different than hooking one on a dink pole, you know. Yeah. Hang on to them for as long as you want. But, you know, it's very hard to very hard to seal the deal. How light are we talking? A lot of guys, the last day of the tournament, if there are a couple fish behind, they'll go down to like 130 or, or 100 pound. It's a good yeah. way to end up with a a winner. Yeah. 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 That's a, definitely a sure way to <laughs> get a hook a big one. Oh, yeah. Um, two, um, three fish back in the release. Oh, no, there comes a 600 pounder. 400 yeah. pounders in first. <laughs> uh, the, the last boss I worked for, Keith Richardson, his son was fishing one of the tournaments on a on a center console and they put one out i think they had it on 180 180 or 220 and they fought that fish for i want to say like 17 or 18 hours you know and they couldn't do anything with it they'd grab the leader and just take off he facetimed me like 15 times throughout the fight he's like man what do we do it's like put a bigger leader out I don't yeah know. hold on and, <laughs> hold on and pray I, yeah i mean it's having the you know, it's one thing to get the leader, but if you got got the right one on, you gotta be able to pull it pull it the last couple of feet. Yep. It makes a even when they're tired, if just being having the leader size to be able to just roll them over makes mm-hmm. you know, it makes all the difference. We we fished the Talica fifties on the longs with, you know, select ballyhoos and chuggers with like two hundred pound or two twenty. You can catch pretty much anything with that, but killing them's you know totally different story. What do you do when you raise a big one? Like, do you tease it away and throw a bigger pitch, or yeah, you... we 
we um if we mark a real big one i'm finally getting to the point where i can kind of start to tell the difference between the big marks and the regular marks and um yeah we'll reel in the long riggers and he comes up to the teaser um throw the 80 pitch at him we normally throw throw the cable rig at him if it's a kill fish or if it's just a regular one um just like 400 pound extra hard one of those 14 mustads gotcha you have had had really good success with those i think what do you what what, do you, what hook do you have on the cable uh same hook same hook mm-hmm. either that one or the one of those uh the big owner grander whatever it is the 14 or 16. i don't like too crazy like too big of a hook but it's got to have the right size gap to be able to you know handle so what's your what's the normal tournament spread the 50s you said in the long riggers and yeah we'll have a have the 50s on the longs um two bridge teasers I, I like to pull two plugs um a lot of times i just pulled two machines i love that aloha machine that thing works good especially you know a little bit slower um i feel like the slower you go the easier that sonar is to kind of work you know the live bait guys you know live bait speed they do super good with it but yeah our normal normal spread is just two 50s on the longs two bridge teasers two dredges and then we'll have a 30 pitch a 50 pitch and an 80 pitch catch the majority of them off the teaser are you is that unique to how you guys fish or is that that typical i mean it sounds like i mean that do do, do people still lure lure fish if they're not live baiting or um i feel like the last couple years it's really evolved you know with the sonar most guys ride around with most guys just ride around with two squid chains out, two squid chains with mackerels, and then as soon as they mark one on the sonar, they most of the time they reel them up before they even drive over them. It's kind of, yeah. mm-hmm. and then they just set two live baits out in the riggers. Yeah, a lot of times they'll just send one. We normally, we normally just send one at first, just you know reel everything in, get get up just ahead of them, and then just put one live bait out before you even put it up on the rigger, just fish it right off the rod tip. You know, put the big leader out first, normally 400 pound. And then, you know, if he kind of follows you, but he doesn't get fired up, then slide out like a 220 or a 280. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty pretty awesome. I haven't done the sonar that much, but just getting to watch them, you can tell when they're following the boat, you know, it's like. Yeah, yeah. And then as soon as that, the maybe the, the first bait wasn't as lively, as soon as that lively bait hits the water, they just, you know, like, oh, tilting up as fast as you can go and he's you know <laughs> are they were, are they more lazy around the rig is that why you know like if you're fishing a more open water like say way more like uh, on the hundred fathoms or something like kind of more more mixed bag fishing do you get them more more are they more aggressive than when they're on the rig or does it depend yeah hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like most, pretty much all the fish we see in open water, you get a bite out of them. Sometimes, you know, I have, I study the moon and keep a good log and try to keep track of all that stuff. And the Gulf is just so consistently inconsistent. Like sometimes, sometimes the new moon is the best fishing you'll see all year. And then sometimes it's, you know, better on first quarter or leading up to the full, but yeah, definitely the open water fish are, um, they're much more aggressive than the rig fish. Yeah. I think that's kind of the the tendency for the live bait guys, you know, and everyone swears, oh, that fish in the Gulf don't tease, fish in the Gulf don't tease. And, you know, some days they don't, but 
some days they tease really well, you know? Yeah. But interesting. I've always wondered what, what the, uh, yeah, it kind of makes sense, you know, like, cause the, all the beat, if it's a, what, what I can interpret from what I hear about fishing in the Gulf, if the, if there's a lot of bait around the rig, it's kind of where you want to be, but they're not going to be as aggressive because they're not the, the food's there all the time. Yep. Yep. There's a lot of truth in that. A lot of the guys, it seems like they'll catch bait at the rigs where there's a ton of bait and they'll, you know, fly 20, 30 miles and go put them out where there's not much bait. It's kind of yeah. strange. A lot of people have had success doing that. I see in I, Costa Rica that is this last season when I was down there running a sonar fishing on the bait, even if the fish were there, it wasn't as effective as being away and just being in a spot where there were fish and not, not that much bait. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like fishing in the Gulf is is very similar to Casa de Campo. I've done uh, three seasons down there in Casa de Campo, and it it's very similar. You know, obviously it's a structure, but just the Gulf is you know it's not near as red hot as Casa de Campo, so it kind of teaches you to be patient. If you find the conditions you're looking for, just hang out. They're gonna they're gonna be there eventually. You know, instead of just running all over the Gulf trying to find one fad where they're biting. It's like eventually they're going to bite there. Yeah. If the right, if you're, if you're around the right spot, like seeing everything that you, you know, to be true, you just wait them out. Yeah. Yeah. If I study Hilton's and I get to a spot and I'm like, this looks exactly like it did on the chart, then just kind of be patient and wait them out. We had a trip last year where I, um, I was fishing next to miles and we fished for two days i think we caught i think we caught two or caught one and a white and he was like man i'm marking a bunch of fish this was before i had a sonar it's like i'm marking a bunch but we're just not getting bit and then on the third day um we hadn't had a bite by like 11 or noon there was acres and acres of bonitas everywhere big yellow fins and we just kept waiting it out and then i marked a quad on the up and down i was like oh my god like, surely surely these aren't blue marlins and then the next like three hours was just incredible you know we had we went five for seven in 11 passes by the rig and had three over 700 it was just insane oh, wow wow but were you were you you teaser fishing or like bait fishing or yeah we were yeah pulling that same spread pulling the um chuggers on the longs and pitching everything off the bridge teasers wow no some good fishing we actually we pulled the hooks on one that that we had the gaps out for it was it was giant it was definitely definitely a boat ride fish on a fun trip you know it was it was right there at it it was a big one pulled the hooks on that that one ate a long rigger and anguish standing there with the talc at 50 just like melting you know we're like well let's try <laughs> But it eventually pulled the hook. But ah, that's incredible, man. I didn't. Sometimes you you hear about the tournament stuff, and the you know here on the East Coast, but you don't hear about the day to day fishing and the just the regular fun fishing. Mm -hmm. That kind of you know when you hear that sort of fishing, it's incredible. I mean, you said it's kind of good year year round, but what uh what have you seen to be like the best months? my best best day numbers wise um was in december we were uh six per night we left it left at sunrise and by like three o'clock that afternoon we were six for nine 
And then um, what? Yeah. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Babe, we're moving to the Gulf Coast. Yeah, we were actually we were six for six. We started out six for six and then fucked off three in a row. Like one eight both baits and they come tight and come back like hook to hook. And then one broke a main line, one broke a leader. I was like, golly, we need that number seven. And then the next morning we fished till noon. And I think we had five bites by noon the next day. And they're like, All right, let's go to the house. I'm like, Wow. Let's just throw the anchor and just stay. <laughs> Damn. You're not the first person I've heard have a really incredible day in December there. Yeah, that was I fished with uh I fished with Miles a bunch that winter, just riding along as a second mate. And then six days of fishing, I think we had twenty-four or twenty-six blue marlins. Oh my. Six days of fishing. It was and all the big yellow fins you want. I mean, we were we were live baiting then and the big yellow fins would push your bait up to the top and you'd be skipping that thing in as fast as you can so it didn't get piled on. I mean, you were getting six or eight bites out of 150 plus pound yellow fins a day too. I mean, it was just unbelievable. But that was a La Nina that season and this this winter has been really good too and it's also La Nina, so probably something to it. Yeah. That's but our fall fishing is, is normally really good. It seems like the we don't catch a lot of big eyes here, but in the fall, they always show up in October and there's normally a handful of big blue marlins falling around. I've caught a, caught a handful in that seven to 800 pound range this time of year. Wow. And then we caught a, caught a really big one uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I guess that holds true still. Yeah. Is the, is the weather the limiting factor there? Because, I mean, I assume you're running offshore to a, a rig over 100 miles away. Yeah. Yeah, this time of year the weather windows get shorter, but if you can leave when when that north wind starts to blow and starts knocking it down, you can you know go out there with a following sea and normally get two or three days of nice weather. Normally it'll slick out for you for a couple of days, but nobody, everybody kind of switches gears and starts gear hunting and you know puts the boat in the yard and does all that. But I I really would like to see a, a tournament this time of year. Just you know, even if it didn't have yeah. a, a a ton of uh participation but get you know 20 or 30 40 boats out there and put up some good numbers yeah i mean you'd, you'd put up i mean if that was similar to what you experienced and who knows you know put 40 boats out there where it might be better it might be worse but it'd be cool to find out yeah i've always thought i've like i've always thought man maybe we should go to the gulf coast for the winter and then everybody was always said that the weather was too and with with our program it was it's tough to have the weather and the the the, the schedules line up you know sure. yeah that i feel like the the programs that really take advantage of that fish in that time of year are kind of the guys that can leave at the drop of a hat you know you see yeah, yeah. weather coming and you just load the boat up and go it would be it would be kind of hard to coordinate um you know out of town schedules and everything yeah, for sure interesting and then let's yeah. talk about before we get into what happened last month what Talk about the evolution of the the numbers fishing going on there in the Gulf Coast. Is that something that happens over your way too, or is that just more of a Texas thing? No, it happens over our way. Um, it's just not a not a huge, you know. Everybody's gung ho about the live baiting, and there's not a ton of guys that are out there, you know, pulling even just two, you know, two squid dredges, you know, let alone natural dredges or whatever else. There's just not a lot of guys doing it, but. The fishing's there. It's definitely, you know, it's definitely good. Um, I think it was 2011. 
we had a pretty good day in there. I think we were seven seven for seven on whites for a ladies' day tournament, and we didn't have dredges in the water. Or, you know, it was just very very basic fishing. But you know, they they get in there when the when the bait gets stacked up in there on the hundred fathom. I mean, there was a boat this year that had uh, twenty bites. You know, twenty plus white marlin bites. Do you uh, see when you're running offshore, like fishing a tournament? Where you're kind of more focused on blue marlins and being around the rigs do you see that like you you i don't know what it looks like in the gulf but like do you do you come across a rip and like there's birds and scattered grass and you're like there's a free jumper and you're like shit, you know but i gotta go do this yeah it happens it happens occasionally a lot of the swordfish guys you know they see sort uh free jumpers and stuff in there and a few times this year i was running out and you know you see the bait just stacked in there you know, in the hundred fathoms, you're like, oh, I've got to run to my spot. You know, yeah, um, yeah. I think I think the baits. You know, it's definitely in there. You could definitely capitalize on it more than more than our our area does. You know, I know Newt came down here. He was running a a palm. I think it was a palm man boat years ago, and he had some, dirty business. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah, dirty business or dirty mines or yeah, dirty business. I believe but he had some great fishing. Just kind of fishing bottom and. Even getting up in there in that green water, we had some awesome fishing in the green water this year. And most people are like, oh, we got to get to the cobalt blue water. And I think that, all, that stuff gets overlooked a lot, you know? Yeah. It takes, a, takes a different type of person to be able to just pound it out in that green water and, you know, catch the heck out of them. But I know they're in there, you know? Yeah. Well, Justin was probably in those tournaments was fishing all in that tighter stuff, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was fishing... Seems like the sail fishing was in there even tighter than than I was fishing, but um, yeah, he was kind of mixing it up from like five hundred to maybe two thousand feet of water in there. Uh, but yeah, he he did did well in the green water. He's caught more sailfish around here than ever. I mean, only caught a handful, and this year it was more than more than my entire golf career combined. But <laughs> I mean, he's pulling those things out left and right. He was Pretty catching them. Pretty cool to see. People didn't even know they existed cool. there. I know. You know, they've been pretty good all the way through, you know, September, early October. Even the guys just kind of bump trolling live baits down the beach. You know, they were catching them right off the second sandbar. I was like, what? What? Never heard about when I was a kid. Was it? Yeah, that's what I'm I'm wondering is like, was that fishing, especially the sails? Because I'm sure the white marlins have probably been in there probably for quite some time. But like. Was it just something that was overlooked because of the way the tournaments and the fishery and what people emphasize there and they just never did it or were the fish just not there? I think a little bit of both. I think most people don't give it the time of day, but I think this year was a little above average for all those numbers. But Justin had a good season last year, too, so that's hard to say. Um, if you talk to some of the old timers, especially, uh, you know, Pensacola and Destin, they said they always were in there. You know, they never never really went past a hundred fathoms and they caught tons of whites in sales. So maybe it's a cycle, maybe it's, you know, just different fishing techniques. I think the, the sonar gives you, you know, a lot of, a lot more confidence to kind of ride around in an area like that, that you're not super sure about. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, I don't think I went to the rigs. We went to the rigs for our first tournament and then I didn't go back until maybe September just because we had very consistent fishing out there you know get in a two or three day trip get three to five blue marlin bites and you know 10 15 whites and 
handful of sales mixed in there too it's it was it was awesome fishing how, how far is that typically um the hundred fathom for us is like 30 miles um we did a bunch of day trips this year um where we were getting you know 10 bites a day consistently and you're you know fishing from 7 30 to 5. wow we're leaving i'm moving the that's nice so i told you you need to move to florida dude I'm not moving to your side of florida i'll go to the, over there <laughs> no state income tax man jesus <laughs> 30 miles you guys been running over this spending days out there where you could just been fishing half days yeah we had a trip uh this year we uh we lost the controls we caught i think two blues and three whites the first day and then we lost the controls i don't know what happened but i had no even i all i had was my little backup controls the little the game boy with the dials you know <laughs> and we and we got into them the last last hour hour and a half of that day i think we saw three blues and 10 whites in like an hour hour and a half and we deleted and i wasn't even i mean i couldn't fish the turn because i didn't you know i was like all right just wind them up and let's catch this thing real quick you know but i feel like you would put the boat in gear and then you'd mark one on the sonar and we didn't go more than like 30 seconds without a bite for an hour and a half it was just unbelievable i had had a double header of whites on. We had one on the long rigger and got one on the inside of the turn on the brutes teaser. And then like a 500 pounder pals on the other chain in the wash. It was like, ah, get that thing away. It was awesome. And this is that white eight, marlin fishing is that is it in tight that the best of it is in that tight water. Yeah. Anything from like 30 to 60 miles is the best of it for sure. Jesus. It's a, wow. it's a fair fairly small area you know and there's a couple couple of the um the government fads there and we caught a few fish around them but not really you know not really what, what do you think about them putting out the 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 government fads do you think that's a good thing or does it matter i mean you guys fish on structure all the time i i would be furious if they did that here but i mean I feel like it's if you want to go catch mahis and stuff like that it's good but i don't think it's really going to up your your billfish numbers or anything like that at least not here it's not like you know not like down in costa rica or or the dominican but you know definitely every monkey boat that comes by there's going to kill every triple tail and mahi that he sees you know <laughs> yeah that's kind of what i kind of the the feeling i have with it you know it's not really yeah. create. It's not creating more fish. They're just putting them all in one spot, and then yeah, they just get massacred. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I this agree. is coming from a guy who's been driving around the ocean with a hundred thousand dollar sonar and in, in the boat for the last five years. So, I don't. I don't know. I certainly not coming from a place of like really looking out for the fish. You know, <laughs> so. I mean, they got some pros, but I think there's probably just as many cons as there is pros, you know? Yeah. Um, especially when there's not, you know, if there's just like six of them, like right now, I think we just have, they put out eight and then a few of them went away. So there's like five. And, you know, if it was like Casa de Campo where there's like a hundred, you know, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe the guys wouldn't all park on top of each other, but um yeah i don't think six is really going to make too much of a positive impact on anything you know yeah dude looking at pens you know when you say pensacola i'm like oh it's in florida it's not that far i'm looking at pensacola 
It's in it another country far. compared to where you live. Dude, it is so <laughs> far. <laughs> it is far. It's, it's like the end of our panhandle of Florida, dude. Yeah, I. it's funny. Like, I, I talk to people and like, oh, you're from Florida? I'm like, yeah, yeah, from Florida. Like, oh, so Miami? I'm like, no. Oh, so you're from Orlando? I'm like, uh, just keep going. Like, it's only like another eight-hour car ride, but yeah, it's still <laughs> Florida. It's, you're better off just telling people that you're from Alabama because they don't understand <laughs> Yeah, no, Pensacola is far, man. Holy moly. Yeah, I think it's like nine or ten hours from, from Miami. Jesus. It might be more because I think I thought Tallahassee was like eight or nine from Miami. And then we're three from Tallahassee. So Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, now look at the map. You ever been to the old Henderson Ridge? The Henderson Ridge? Is that there by Lloyd's Ridge? Yeah, it's way out there. Yeah, yeah. I feel that I went out there um for the first tournament, second tournament of the year, I, there was a nice little piece of water out there, and I was the only guy out there. And unfortunately, I didn't have a clue what I was doing with that sonar. But man, I I felt like we were in the right spot. There was right before the major, I pulled up like within a quarter or half a mile of my spot, and there's acres of skipjacks. I see the bluefins airing it out. Saw a couple free jumpers. I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna find something out here. And we had one mystery bite, but um, that was, you know, like kind of my first or second time using that sonar. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I'd had the game way down low and wasn't really marking much. But that um, that white marlin fishing, man, I feel like that is such a good training camp for, for that sonar, especially if you can get a bunch of targets. And if you can follow white marlin on, on that thing, you know, at trolling speed, you can do the blue marlin fishing for sure. Interesting. That Good place, the nipple, it's right out from Pensacola. Mm-hmm. Is that where you yep. catch the whiteies? Yep, right out right there, the nipple and the elbow. Um Let's see this place. It's, Look at that, uh, Anthony. There's white marlin on the map. <laughs> yeah, that the fishing at the nipple this year was awesome. You know, the there would be 10 or 12 boats in there, maybe 15, 20 on a busy day, and everybody was getting bites, you know. And, you fish till six o'clock and run for an hour and be at the house. It was pretty sweet. An hour. And I finally just now have a faster, you know, I say faster, but we're like 20, 29 knot cruise. We're still not fast, but we're getting faster. He's right there, huh? Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a couple of nice little pieces of bottom just to the west of there um, that gets pretty good. And then, um, the elbow, as you go around to the southwest, the elbow is really good. And and the steps, we had some great fishing at the steps this year, too. There was a a buddy of mine on the Florida Lee. They had, they had some great fishing. They did an overnighter, and I think they had two blues and 14, 14 whites and three or four sails. And they weren't even pulling dredges. I was like, what? So, I mean, can you imagine if, you know, somebody that was dialed and really Get it fishing the turn came in there and you could probably you could probably bring that blood money boat in here and do some damage. <laughs> Telling you. 30 miles Gulf Coast fuel prices. I think people would like that from around here. I, we don't fucking I don't see I don't see 50 miles ever anymore up here. Sounds yeah, pretty pretty amazing. We're super fortunate. The marina we keep the boat at in Orange Beach. They if you're a member member in their um whatever their their club or you know they they sell you fuel at like cost so we're saving like a dollar or a dollar and a quarter on fuel so it's you know you can go 
go fishing for a day on you know 250 gallons and it's like you know less than a thousand bucks and you know to have 10 shots for a thousand bucks is pretty phenomenal what uh yeah. yeah i mean generally fuel fuel is cheaper there just in general mm-hmm. um I, i've only ever been to louisiana there just and it seems like it's like almost a dollar cheaper there than it is up here yeah because hence you guys make it there so yeah that's so cool there's plen- plenty of that pumping around over there if you guys yeah. haven't haven't been to the rigs and seen them it's it's pretty pretty cool to see man there's a lot going on out there it's still hard for me to wrap my head around that those guys are drilling like 30 and forty thousand feet into the earth in seven thousand feet of water on a boat that's just holding there on dp it's like kind of yeah that's i can't fathom that <laughs> yeah it's unbelievable you know there's several hundred you know billion dollar structures out there just around yeah that's crazy what do you do you i mean is there any sort of distance that you have to stay away from them chris um there's one rig that the auger they built that one you know early on and they didn't put it in their uh cfrs for they didn't even account for sport fishing boats so they they can still request you to leave but they put in a cfr for any vessel under 99 feet um is basically out of their jurisdiction so they can ask you to leave but they can't really like force you to leave you know gotcha. all their equipment is so heavy duty that you're you're not bugging them you know yeah, I feel yeah. like you could hit the side of that thing doing you know 15 knots and it wouldn't even scratch the paint <laughs> man wow. yeah man, if you get some free time and you want to come fishing you know in the spring or after or before your season just come check it out and see if it's something you'd be interested in I think I'd, yeah, I'd love to see it. I think I'm gonna probably just move there. <laughs> so sounds like Anthony's type of place. I've always I've always had this this dream. Well, I haven't, but I've just developed this dream of having this like 38 Henriquez and putting a sonar in and just dominating, trying to dominate all the small boat categories. Just yeah. like but 30 miles just sounds awesome. And how long does that go on the 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 inshore fishing there? Pretty much from like June first through through October. It's really good as long as the water's there. Basically, mm-hmm. does the water ever get in there in the in the winter, or is it kind of get blown out? Not really, and the water doesn't even like doesn't even have to be super good, super pretty water in there. Like you know, as long as it's that kind of clean green or mm-hmm. clean blended, water, yeah if there's just a little bit of current in there they're going to be in there you know yeah i live we live up here we live for a blend i've i've learned to live for blended water so have i yeah i i never really had the confidence fishing in it and that's where you want to (laughs) be lately i've finally learned that but that's a that's a good place to be cool man i'm learning so much i'm just this is this is so cool um so let's uh let's get on to not the reason why we had you on. I mean, I've I've kind of followed you from afar from a, for a long time, Grace, and and I think both me and Nick have. But I mean, the reason that kind of got in there, got you in our heads, was the 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 quite large blue marlin that you guys captured last month. Was it? Yep. Cool. October seventeenth. You said wow. that this is this is two days before you, my birthday. When you uh, Best birthday present ever. Yeah. When you start to get around that time of the year like you said are you 
are you starting to get a feeling like man you're gonna see see a nicer one that time of year yeah i think so for sure you know the, yeah. we have that mongo tournament um that started here and it's a six month long deal and normally i think the last three out of the last four years it was one in september you know they broke, broke the state record a couple years ago in september and it's definitely a, a good time of year for big fish you know i feel like they definitely follow those those big elephants and big eyes that show up here um before they do their thing you know the, the blue marlins are not too far behind them um so we we kind of transition from think bait fishing back into going to the rigs uh trying to find a big fish for the mongo and just you know told told the guys like man we need to just just throw 400 pound at everything just to, you know, if we do hook the right one, I want to have the right leader in them, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, that, that big one we caught, you know, the stars really have to align for a fish like that. And, uh, that one was no different. You know, we, I was studying the water and, um, you know, we had a trip coming up and I planned on going to a raid called blind faith. Um, but our guys didn't get until late, so I kind of didn't have didn't have enough time to make it there, and I had to stop a little bit short of there. And we had a few bites at this rig called Nikika. We I think we were 0 for 2 and saw another one and saw a white marlin that wouldn't tease, and they were both nice fish. Uh, so everybody was kind of upset, but still, you know, very positive, like, hey, you know, fishing's good, just we'll get the next one. And then I talked to a buddy and he, he was at the at the blind faith, the rig I was headed to, and they'd already there was three bucks there and there'd been eight fish caught. I was like, oh, God, like I should have been there. <laughs> so the major was coming up. It was getting ready to start the major. Um, and then we got invaded by porpoises. A school of like a hundred and something porpoises came through and they're ripping mud flaps off and you couldn't you oh. couldn't yeah, the dolphins are I've seen that in Stewart too. The dolphins will ruin your day so fast. I mean, wow. if you're live baiting, if you're trolling, it doesn't matter. They will run you off the rig. So we firewalled it over there to blind faith and put the spread out and put the sonar down in the water and, and mark, mark two fish right away and wheel over them, get cleared, drop a bait on one. And he like totally avoids the boat. And, you know, he's, he's not going to play the game. So it's right, so your job at live bait now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a, six or seven pound black fin on on that 400 pound um but how come you're doing the live bait now not versus your normal trolling really because we were trying to catch some of the big tunas that were around and you know part of the reason that i don't live bait at all during the summer is when the water temp gets so hot and you can't keep your bait a lot you know they'll live till like nine o'clock and then nine o'clock you're out of bait and some guys spend all day just trying to catch bait you know it's very hard to catch during the day so just to avoid doing that, I don't live bait at all until that water temp gets back down to like 80 degrees and you can keep a full quiver of baits alive, you know? So, yeah. so we, you know, we caught a few fish before that live baiting and the guys were fired up. They wanted to live bait. So we went out there and strictly live baited. But, um, yeah, I marked that, uh, marked that big fish and my, a friend of mine was over there dropping baits on it. He said, you know, wouldn't react and, couldn't get a bite out of it so i just wheeled in there right behind him and threw one on 400 pound to it and that thing exploded i mean it ate it right off the right off the back of the boat i mean the swivel wasn't much past the rod tip and just ate it going away and you see a lot of shoulders and a lot of tail 
and um and then it started jumping like right towards the rig jumped a couple times all the way out of the water and just going away i couldn't tell how long it was i just you know see it was really wide i was like man this is a nice one definitely you know 700 pounder or so and then we race over there to it and burns off a bunch of drag going away from the rig then jumping away again and um the fish stayed up on top for like the first 45 minutes just racing around and luckily that little boat it's a 55 biking so it's you know super maneuverable and we we raced around on it pretty good and uh, as soon as she went down we went up to like 60 pounds on the drag and and she made one more good run at like 60 pounds and then slowly just started creeping it out and I was, this was like maybe an hour maybe an hour into it hour and a half into it and I was like guys I think she's I think she died I think the fish is just sinking so we rolled the drag all the way up to like 90 pounds and palm the spool and slowly started planing her up and and it took a long time like what are you doing week. with what are you doing with the boat when this is happen, happening with it when it died like when you realize that it, it it's probably dead and you're starting to plane them up just basically slow them down with the spool you know slow them down with the drag until you can get it to almost stop creeping out and then start slowly bumping the boat forward you know just kind of bumping it every once in a while and then as that goes on and you get more line back on the spool, you can, you know, pull away just to, you know, just leave one in gear, kind of pull away from it. But, um, yeah, in the beginning, you know, I'd pull forward for a few minutes and they would put like 10 or 15 yards of line on the reel, maybe. And then it would go to like 25 yards and then they were getting 30 yards. And, you know, once we got, she was probably like half a spool out when we started playing her off. So. I don't know how much drag that is, but 99 pounds or 90 pounds, it was all the way in park. I mean, um, you're, and you're, you got, I mean, this is 130, whatever, mm-hmm. Moy Moy Diamond 130 or something like that. And it's like, it, so you're at 90 pounds with it yeah. to have a spool out. You're, you're stressing it to the absolute. Yeah. That's yeah, it was, fucking sick. It was, I, I don't know how nothing broke. I mean, just a blessing, really. I mean, I, I like to use that Benjamin knot. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I feel like if that knot's tied properly, it gives you that little bit of shock to, you know, get the most out of your out of your line. You know, I, I like the um what is it, the Berkeley Pro Spec. <laughs> I like that stuff. I've had really good luck with that. We use that on all our reels and luckily luckily it held on. But yeah, we started putting some line back on the reel and Towards the end, we would get, you know, say 50 yards or maybe 75 yards back. And then then she kind of started to not float up, but, you know, put some scope in the line. And she popped up back there. And we backed up there to it and just put, you know, two straight gaps in her. And I ran down off the bridge and opened the door. And the second I grabbed her bill was when I knew. I was like, oh, my God, this is giant. Like, I, I pulled not a bunch of blue moms through the door, but, I, you know, I've killed a handful and man, a 600 pounder compared to the stump on that thing was insane. I mean, it was so ungodly thick. It was just like a totally different level of huge. So we're, we're pulling it through the door and, and we get it like just a dorsal and you can just see its big head and everyone's kind of like looking at each other. Like, is this real? Like, is this thing like, this doesn't even look real. It looks like a dinosaur. 
and we couldn't get it coming. I normally carry a come along or a chain fall or something like that just for pulling one in the door, but I dropped the ball on that. We didn't have one. So I called my buddy that was right next to us when we hooked the fish and uh, he put two of his mates on the, on the boat and they helped us drag it through. And I remember having it by the bill and I backed up and my back hit the salon door and we still weren't even to the anal fit. And I was like, oh my God, this is huge. We, you know, we pulled a tape on it real quick and I was like, all right, pulled it at the tail. And I measured it and it was like 143. And I was like, there's no way. Like, pull it at the tail. You're doing something wrong. So <laughs> we pull it again. I was like, 143. It's like, well, it's kind of banana. It's still hanging out of the boat. Like, let's get all the way in and let's get a good measurement. So we we pulled the tail up up to the belly band just so we can get the door closed, and then we laid it on the on the covering board and we measured it. You know, measured it bent, and it it was um, then it measured like one thirty seven. I'm like, okay, that's that's still really big, but it's much more realistic. Like, what's the girth? And it was forty two. So for or half, you know, half of it yeah. was forty two. It'll be eighty four. And I was like, man, that just that seems huge. And I was texting with Tim Richardson. He's like, what are the measurements? And I told him. And he's like, no, that can't be right. You got to go down there and measure it again, mate. You did something wrong. And I was like. <laughs> All right. I must have measured that fish like 50 times that night. We, you know, we put <laughs> put it in the boat right at sunset. And the guys were like, all right, let's haul ass in and go weigh this thing. And I was like, man, we're like 140 miles from the dock. Like, we're just going to chug in and we'll line it up to have it weighed at, weighed at sunrise at Orange Beach Marina. So we got in at uh, 6 or 7 a.m. and had a big crowd of people there to watch us weigh the fish. And it was, it was a really, really cool experience. Super special for the, you know, the city of Orange Beach. Um, the city's going to do a big replica mount down. I don't know exactly where they're going to put it, but they'll put it somewhere. And I feel like the Gulf has been kind of waiting for that fish for a long time. Yeah, it's the first grander in the Gulf, right? Uh, I think there's been, I think there's been three or four now. But there oh, had, yeah. the last one was like 20 years ago. I got you. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So what did it, what did it measure out to? What did it weigh? I forgot. It was uh, it was one forty five and three quarters by eighty four. Sauce with a sixty two inch tail and twenty inch stump, and it was eleven forty five point six. Jesus, it was a monster. And the and the funny thing about it is there was not like the only thing in its stomach was our bait. There was <laughs> I mean that that thing could eat a sixty or eighty pound tuna like without even thinking about it, you know. Yeah. The, the formula on it had it like up over twelve fifty. It was like twelve seventy or something like that. But either way, I mean, it's just a fish of a lifetime. Super, super fortunate, you know, to see something like that. And so you you said at the at the outset of the story, you said that your somebody another boat had marked it and you went over to it what why do you why did it choose you do you have any idea do you i think i was just living right man i don't know i just, <laughs> I just got lucky and got the bite i i think he was he had uh you know he was throwing like 220 at it you know and it decided i didn't even put fluorocarbon out i like that 400 pound extra hard and and she piled on it it was great i i can't answer that i don't know why she picked our bait but it was it was definitely a sick bite do you uh when you're you're going slow, do you feel like 
doing doing that sort of fishing where you're like kind of picking out your target and going after it do you find that like the direction of how you approach it makes any difference i mean it may not in this this instance but but overall yeah overall definitely if you can kind of kind of slide in ahead of them and slow the boat down gradually and kind of present a bait that way i think it makes a big difference but this this one i didn't make a difference at all if it, I mean, if it ate it as soon as the, the basically as soon as the bait hit the water it was it was coming came to look at the boat before you know yeah you know, no she it. was she was still off the bow when we threw the bait and um and i mean she raced as fat i mean you see that thing just racing across <laughs> the insane i was like get ready you're about to get a bite he's like my bait's nervous and then <laughs> going away by it like oh it's a little more nervous who, who fought it your boss no uh crazy like so this is a first year program these guys have never never marlin fished um just a friend uh -huh. of theirs a friend of theirs said you know if you guys like you know duck hunting and deer hunting you should try marlin fishing so they bought a boat and hired me and the guy that actually uh introduced um introduced us was the one that caught it the owner wasn't the owner of the, his sons unfortunately weren't weren't on board it was just a guest of theirs so oh, geez. but he's he's a he's a great angler he um been to australia a handful of times uh been to cape verde and a handful of times to the azores so he's he's been to some big fish destinations and he's put the time in for sure so, so this is cool. a this is a fish for for you your mates and and him too like mm -hmm. it was something that he it might have not been set out to do in his in his in his fishing career but in the back of your mind like you kind of always have this sort of thing in your in your head for sure yeah i think for all of us you know to, yeah. to catch fish like that anywhere in the world is just you know a lifetime goal but to catch one at home you know and bring it to your hometown and have your friends and family around was just it was just next level it was really special yeah i'll remember that one forever and did you it, that was that was that wasn't during the manga tournament was it no it was like Damn i think it was like two two weeks after so you need to adjust that yeah he's talking about extending it next year he's gonna go i think till the end of october <laughs> but yeah it was it was a just a really cool experience you know for my mate you know he he uh started with me two years ago or three years ago on the hoodat and you know he was a fairly inexperienced kid and you know now he's a now he's a stud you know he's gotten to get good at hooking them and teasing them and you know it's very cool to see a young kid evolve like that and just keep a positive attitude and something good like that happens just you know seeing that smile on his face was priceless does it mean something to you to see 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 somebody go from from beginner to i mean you're killing granders now so i guess he's he, he's an expert you know yeah yeah no, <laughs> you probably was, don't want to tell him that <laughs> it was it was yeah very cool feeling and you know for me too i even when i started running the hoot at i had i've always had phenomenal mates you know i started running that boat and we had two first there two full-time mates and they were both studs and then the program slowed down just a little bit so my uh my mate moved on and took a captain's job and then to kind of cool to prove it to yourself you know that you can take a a new kid and train him you know to to learn your program and fish your style and then get back up to that high level is is really cool you know it, it's 
for me, it's is um, you know just a unbelievable feeling. You know, it's kind of hard to explain, but yeah, yeah no, it's unbelievable, man. What uh, I mean, so but, but the owner of the boat, I mean, has that like sparked a fire in him? Like now, like watching that happen. Yeah, yeah. They I, as soon as we put the fish in the boat, um, I called him and you know told him I said, Scott, we just boated a really big fish. Uh, you guys probably going to want to drive down to come see this thing. And he's like, well, how big is that? I said, Scott, I don't know. It's the biggest one I've ever seen. You know, it's, this is very possible the biggest one that's ever been caught in the Gulf. You know, I'm, I'm saying it's probably between 11 and 1150, just trying to be conservative. You know, we did the measurements and took a couple inches off of each one. You were dead on to, though. Yeah. Trying to be conservative. But, <laughs> yeah. I, I texted a buddy of mine. He's like, He's like, I saw the picture, but how big is it really? I was like, man, I think it's 11.50. That was my guess. And it was 11.45. <laughs> That's wow. badass, dude. That's crazy. Jeez Louise. But so now now your boss is fired up to start doing more of this? or Yeah, now he's he's super fired. I mean, they're they're so all about it. He's, he's fully invested into it. He just put a deposit down on a 67 or 68 Richie Howell. Haven't decided yet, but we're building the building a new boat and um probably gonna upgrade this one and get an interim boat for a couple years if you guys hear of any cool boats coming available we're i do we're kind of in the market and i know that custom boat game is kind of like a very tight-knit circle you know it's you don't really hear about the good ones they're just kind of on to the next they never hit the market but yeah we're definitely looking so these guys are you know he's got two two sons and two daughters and the sons you know they're my age they're 32 and they can't get enough you know they love every bit of it they're getting involved in the rigging and you know bait rigging and bait catching and they just they love it all so super fortunate man i think this could be another another pretty long-term long-term deal i was fortunate to be on the hood app for almost 10 years and you know hopefully wow. this one you know just as long or longer that's awesome bro what's it mean to you to have a job like that for 10 years i mean the who was a pretty pretty solid program i mean more more than solid but you know being on a boat like that it's it's a lot i mean i'm sure it wasn't all always great but after 10 years what's it what's it like you know job security and in this field of work is something that's few and far between and anytime you can find that stability you know it's just it's hard to leave you know even if there's you know, better money on the table or more, you know, faster boat or bigger this. It's just, you know, having that stability and then um, you know, having a a boss that's like family. You know, I I still talk to my old boss, you know, a couple times a week and we're still great friends. And I talk to my new boss, you know, almost every day. And um yeah, just super thankful to to be around people like that, you know, to to have a job you know that treats you literally like family it's it's a blessing for sure yeah that's amazing um, yeah but hard to find a good good guys and good guys you get along with and yeah and it's just as expensive of a sport you know as yeah. you guys know it's it's hard to find somebody that can stay fired up as spending you know a million dollars a year just to get you know for something for fun yeah. and you try to try to explain to friends you know that don't really understand the sport fishing thing you know they're like so we, how, how do you guys make money it's like well we don't make any money really you know if we're yeah. lucky to win a tournament we'll make a little bit but 
he might break even, but most of the time I'm just spending this guy's money like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun spending other people's money. I'm sure I'm sure going out to like I remember being in the Midwest at one point, like Ohio, and somebody asked what I did for a living and having to explain it, it just was like very, very difficult to you know, I just I I equate it to like car racing or horse racing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's a totally it's a crazy level, you know, and 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 the thing is unless you're having fun and unless you absolutely love it, it's don't too, make sense. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's just not even realistic. Yeah. It was cool. I was just in um in Missouri um hunting with my mate Addison's uh family. They got a farm up there and we were sitting at the little staging area and there was a guy from Wisconsin. He was like, you guys fish, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, we fish for a living. He's like, did you guys see that fish in Orange Beach? And I was like, yeah, man, I saw it. I was there. It was crazy. That's amazing. That, that news on that fish, I didn't, I didn't really like post much about it or I just sent a few of my friends pictures of it. And then I opened up, social media and it just like exploded everywhere like I was like, man how does that just circulate that fast i don't understand oh, yeah. is that the is that the biggest fish caught in the gulf mm-hmm. wow yeah the the previous record was a uh, 1054 um and then the alabama state record was 851 so i beat that one by almost 300 pounds what uh explain that coin your dad gave you it's a badass coin. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool coin, man. I we had a kind of tough luck the first of the season, you know, pulling a few fish off, and we're pretty good about getting the bites to win the tournament, but not exactly always capitalize on all our bites. So um, he's like, you know, he, <laughs> he gave me the coin just as a you know, my dad's you know sweet old man, but he's kind of corny, you know, typical old guy stuff. But you know, he's like. He gave one to my mate and he gave one to me you know we had a dinner and uh he said this is going to change your luck just keep it on you all the time and that coin hasn't left the bridge um since he gave it to me and and gosh i don't think i ever will take it off the bridge you know i say you could send it down to me let me borrow it for a little bit (laughs) come on rub on it for a little bit yeah that was a really cool gift Uh, my old mate it's funny story kevin kevin alexander he's like Man, that coin is sick. I just bought one off eBay. <laughs> got one coming, so hopefully it brings me some luck too. I was like, man, I hope it does, but that's not really how luck works, unfortunately. <laughs> but I hope it brings you some. Did your uh, when you were growing up, Chris? Were your parents like? Were they in the? Well, obviously your dad was in the fishing. Were they pretty supportive of you pursuing this as a career, or did you have to battle battle through? No, it was a it was a pretty big battle, and until I until I got my my first captain's job, then they kind of started to respect it a little bit. You know, I got my license when I was eighteen and uh, ran a few inshore charters, but um, yeah, they were supportive of whatever I wanted, but they they got I don't think they fully believed in it, you know. And then just I started, in the industry, or I mean, obviously they did not believe in you, but just like oh, yeah, you just, could make a living off of this exactly yeah. yeah you know it's hard to explain to people but when you start bringing home you know respectable money and you know you're just happy coming home from work not every day but most days you're pretty happy coming home from work and well, we know, are anthony not so much 
pretty oh, happy most of the time. <laughs> I'm kidding. If you think about it, though, too. I feel like you got to have some shitty days or it's not really a job, you know? So sometimes oh, I got yeah. sometimes I have to force them upon myself. Yeah, but then you still gotta you still gotta be like, damn, this is what I do. You know, my buddies are <laughs> stuck in an office right now, looking out yeah. the window. Yeah, yeah. So I just I just make a couple. I just create a bunch of issues for myself, and that's how I create make it a job. Yeah, when you're like you know knee deep in uh, in the bilge and human feces, you know that it. Uh, that's when it really makes sense. Yeah. yeah puts it all in perspective but for the most part you know there's so many people in this world who live their entire life and they never actually they never find out what they're good at and they never find out what actually like makes them happy you know like i can't there's nothing else that i would be that i would be good at doing like just to you know be able to apply every single second of thought you know that's the reason that all all of us are you know fairly good at our jobs is because of the time and the amount of thought that everybody in, invests into it you know it, it's kind of a blessing and a curse to not ever be able to turn it off you know yeah. you know so i think it just starts as an uh, obsession that we just can't stop thinking about you know mm-hmm. like how often do you look at the water shots chris every day every day every day yeah every day as soon as i wake up and sit on the toilet and i pull up hilton's and that's how i start my day every day yeah bro the fucking clouds are around that'll put you in a bad mood if you if you know <laughs> that after like here we we're, we're like pretty dependent on east wind right so like if a nor'easter comes through or something like that and i'm like waiting for the clouds to clear and i'm waiting for the northwest to come so it gets dry and clear i'm like what the fuck is this and i and like if i got a day coming a fishing day coming up i'm like waiting for this water shot and my mates are like why are you so stressed out it's like i don't know where we're going tomorrow and then the the shot finally sh- appears it, it might be the middle of the night but i'm like oh okay yep now at least I have an idea yep no i can totally relate to that you're sitting there like refreshing it it's gonna be <laughs> nine o'clock and you just keep clicking and clicking <laughs> yeah i i i study hilton's a lot i'm gonna, i'm curious to see to get your opinion both of you guys on on reading reading our water just to see what would jump out to you guys you know because I know you guys are, you know, especially those East Coast guys are as good or better than anybody at reading water because you don't have any oil rigs or structure to kind of bail you out. You know, you, you're looking for a piece of water and and um, you know, I would just like to get you guys' opinion on that sometime. I'll send you a couple of screenshots. Yeah, dude. Going again. Yeah. See what... It could be like a quiz for us. <laughs> yeah. You, you could grade it. <laughs> Like now, nah, now nah, you're you're not gonna catch anything no, there. No. <laughs> Nick, you're yeah. in the wrong area, buddy. <laughs> you ever had the guy? You know, you're like somebody like uh, Miles. Actually, Miles came up from the Gulf Coast up here, right? This mm-hmm. this year, and you know, you you get somebody from out of like not from out of town because there's always out of towns, but like say Nick came up here, didn't fish, or Miles came up, or you you came up here, and you're like, all right, let's see how this guy this does. Well, I I was Miles was like, what do you think? I was like. Man, if you just run to the northeast, like 115, 120 miles to that blue, that blended blue water, I think you'll find him. And he was like, "All right," and he fucking not he he did, and he was the only one that really caught him that tournament, that Big Fish Classic. I think he like everybody was so downtrodden, but at that point, it was like middle of July, and the you know we're starting to get to the the more intense part of the season, and there hadn't been been many fish. And then Miles ran up there. 
and I'm like, man, I wish somebody, and I wasn't fishing that tournament. I was like, I wish, I wish somebody would go up there and it, it took somebody from the Gulf coast to run 120 miles. And he found, I don't know, he found a little spot at the end of the, and at the end of a, the two day tournament mm-hmm. and, and put up some fish. So it's pretty cool when you see somebody like, you're like, huh, let's see how this goes. Yeah. I'd be what's curious. Your, what's your, um, like most important factor when it comes to reading water is it temperature or current or altimetry or what what's the most important i i still look at the 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 chlorophyll for me and the temperature or the two like the first thing i look at typically i look at the 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 temperature and then i Mm -hmm. then i if there's a if it's a nice enough day and there's a chlorophyll shot too i start to look at that and then i don't like actually like pull up the uh like the arrows on the current because i feel like if you really look at it and and set the set the parameters up right you can kind of tell which way the currents are going without the thing because it they're so broad and i'm looking for like little little things you know so i feel like you you what i saw on like i use rip charts mainly here and uh and terrafin up here and i feel like if the wind's blowing a certain direction all the current will be like that unless it's the gulf stream then it's going there so i kind of look at i kind of make my own theories up in my head about like the current but mm-hmm. for us chlorophyll and and uh temperature and and typically like some years you're looking for that more blended blue water and then some years you're just like the last two years you're just looking for anything you know yeah. so what about you, Nick? Do you, do you guys pay attention to to water shots a whole lot for sailfish season, or is it more I mean, just for sailfishing? I mean, some guys do. Some of the older guys do, and I have a little bit. Um, but man, sometimes I feel like more than others, it just sends you on like a wild goose chase a lot of times. And like the best thing, the best thing is just to be out there, like you're not going to get a better read than actually just running, running our boundary to boundary. And that's what typically a lot of guys, you know, obviously most people don't do that. Cause you know, you're just don't waste the whole, you know, tank of gas, but like, yeah. like John Louis, for example, who's like, you know, the, the OG. Mm-hmm. And I mean, without a doubt, every tournament before the tournament, he'll run boundary to boundary. And, you know, I've caught myself doing it a couple of times, especially if the weather's good. And that's just to me the the best thing. Obviously, is just seeing it for yourself, put your eye on it. Yeah. Um, but in the Bahamas, you know, we did we do look at the charts a lot. Um and it's something I definitely just want to get better at for sure. You know, do you do you think just because in in Florida, like it's just all moving so quickly that it's it, you know, because we're looking at I feel like me and Chris were looking at something that's gonna if if it's there today, it's gonna be there tomorrow if the weather pattern stays re- relatively similar. Whereas I feel like your conditions move so quickly because you're so adjacent to the Gulf Stream. Yeah, yeah, I mean our water our water moves quick. I mean it could be like purple one day and you go back the next day and it's just like sewer green. Or even yeah. a couple of hours sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could just get a pocket of blue water and you'll even see like you know, like it's like where we are it's like oh like you want to be you know the north but you want to be ahead of the pack because the fish are coming from the north but like they're like the certain special days when you get like that little eddy or pocket of blue 
and it just goes from north to south and you'll see like the good guys like the, you see like the uh, some guys going north but the good guys are going south because they're staying on that top of that body and they just keep picking at those fish as they're moving you know so mm-hmm. those days are like really fun because people are like oh you got to go that way and then the good guys are going one way you're like everyone's like wait where are they going you know <laughs> yeah 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 that makes a lot of sense i feel like if you did see a little eddie spin off the gulf stream somewhere off you by the time you ran out there the next day it's probably not there you know? yeah yeah you know sometimes our water i mean when you're fishing especially like off palm beach and stuff i mean you'll see the you know the, the lobster pots i mean it, they're like it looks like you're in a river i mean sometimes it's like four or five knots of just cranking water i mean where you're drifting an area is i mean you have to reset constantly because you're just smoking right. through an area yeah for, for us i feel like the current is the most most important factor for whatever reason you know I, I look at water color and i don't really pay a whole lot of attention to the temperature but and that current if you can find some some current somewhere on the shelf or you know current's definitely the most important for me yeah now for us it is too yeah when you're fishing the rigs do you do you have to like fish fish on like you're not fishing on the tide because you're you're kind of committed to going to a certain rig right but you're are you waiting for a certain time and you talked about the the major the minor and the major earlier are you can you see that in in the way what goes on in the water as as well i don't see it in the water um it's you know Majors and minors, just, you know, moon overhead or, you know, rising moon, setting moon, whatever. But um, can you see, but what I mean by in the water, I mean, like, can you see life, life come and go on? Yeah, normally normally outside of the majors and minors, you see all the bait pushed up on top, but they're not like pushed up. They're like, you know, I I call them happy to happy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, They're just jumping because they're happy. But normally right around the major and minor, everything just disappears and, you know they're kind of get put in check it's funny i know miles he doesn't really buy into that a whole lot he always gives me a bunch of crap about it but i mean those majors it, one year we caught 40 49 out of 51 blue marlins in a major or minor yeah that's pretty concrete evidence and same thing in the dominican i feel like it definitely holds true down there i kind of would bounce around and wherever a major or minor was like just go back to whatever looked the best and camp out for two hours yeah i I, I see it a lot in the bahamas too i mean like just the past few years fishing the custom boat shootout custom production i mean you you know there's 60 boats in both those tournaments and you know on the the major and minor that you got like that you got those two windows and i mean in that little bit of time every boat is hooked up or missing them or and it's like you better catch as many as you can as fast because it's going to completely die in a second and then all of a sudden the radio goes just stone cold quiet and then then you get that little thing in the afternoon and it's again everyone's just bang 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 and then dead you know so it's like whoever caught the most and that those little hot bites is you know your guy yep that's how it was in st thomas too we took the hoot at down to st thomas in 2018 and when it would go off Everybody down the drop was hooked up, and then they're you know it'd go quiet for a little while, and then you know another flurry. But um, yeah, those I I swear by those majors and minors. Every time I see somebody like pick up and make a move in the major, I'm just like, dude, what are you doing? Why would yeah. you? Why would you do that? 
It's certain. I I think it's they fish these fish the we have four major canyons here basically and the, the hundred phylum line is the only real structure we have and we have other canyons up and down but i i feel like there's certain spots in these canyons where the big eyes will congregate and i feel like that when they bite it's i don't know if it is because i'd never go in there but there's only there's like a handful of guys that are super really like there can be 80 boats there and the same same 10 guys will end up winning the tuna tournament because because they they haven't figured out when they they know what they're looking for and they know when to be there Mm -hmm. you know and i don't have the patience for any of that so that and kind of like understand understanding how you know how the current is affected in the canyon if it's funneled and the bait's going to stack in a certain area Mm -hmm. i feel like here in the gulf current direction makes a big difference you know if there's a certain you know southeast current hitting a certain side of the of the canyon you know this part of the canyon is going to be better or on a west current this part's going to be better and just from keeping a good log i've been able to kind of you know make a pretty good uh you know guessment of which what's it's going to be but um it's probably the same thing with those big eyes you know when they when they see the tide change or the you know minor they know they're going to be just up current of you know this steep part or whatever do you feel like you I- Cause up here I get a, I feel like I get a lot of, a lot of bites when during the tide change, you know, I see an edge push in, in, into inshore. And then like, as it start right before it starts to pull back offshore, like, I feel like yeah. that's when I like, I'm like, this is, this is it. Mm-hmm. I start yeah. to see the edge make up and then I like, you're like, oh man, it looks good. And you're kind of like, oh, this ain't going to work out. Then you, then all of a sudden you're like, oh man, there's a couple and then kind of make, make goes yeah it it's like that for us too we have the you know the mississippi river dumps out right here in the gulf and sometimes you'll get you know opposing currents and you know a couple degree temperature difference just like the most unbelievable rip you've ever seen and when that thing's rolling offshore when it's steadily just pushing offshore and you know starts to get that foam built up on it you know Mm -hmm. tack back and forth looks like you're just zigzagging offshore Man, that's when those things are so good. And it's normally, you know, on that outgoing tide change just before it stops, I guess. Yeah. They're probably like, how deep, how deep does that, ha- does the water go when it's like that? Is it like a straight wall or is it just on the surface? It's just on the surface, but it, you'll see it down when it's pushing really hard like that. You can just see it rolling and it, you'll, it'll be down like maybe 20 feet or so. And then mm-hmm. it's blue water up underneath it, but it'll be like nasty, cloudy, like pussy, like just. Yeah. Yeah water pushed up against really nice stuff that's always cool to fish but yeah this year for that dink bait fishing i was not really around any like major color changes or it was just kind of fishing bottom structure and you know thank god for the sonar you know it gives yeah. you some confidence when you're when you're wandering around in there you know it got to the point where it was like all right i haven't marked one in like 30 minutes like we gotta get out of here they're just not here but you know then some days it's like they just all show up out of nowhere i don't i've always been curious if you know even the blue moms do they go down like when you're fishing a rig for four or five hours and you're not really marking them but all the conditions are right and then during the major you just mark like five i feel like yeah i'm convinced i never i i thought for the longest time like they don't go down they don't never live down there i don't know how deep they go but i it i'm convinced now that like that they they do go down they go down a little bit yeah, yeah. I, I was reading somewhere it was either a podcast or 
reading something somewhere, and they said that blue marlins spend almost as much time at depth as the big eyes do. So yeah, I, it was hard for me to believe that, but I do know, you know, if I've fallen a few of them. You know, if you're fishing a rig and you'll follow them up current for like a mile or two off the rig and they're just not biting, not doing anything. And then, um, then they, it's like they just kind of show back up. I don't know if they're just kind of wandering into the current, just relaxing or, or what, but normally they'll just kind of leave those rigs and straight line. Maybe they eventually go down, but it seems like when you catch one, you put a tag in it, they always like wheel back, back around and they're just sitting in the eddy on the down current side. Just, sitting right there and i had that happen in casa de campo a handful of times like i went by a fad mark two on the up and down catch a double let them go and then for the next two hours you just mark a double header that's sitting right on the down current side and like oh, those, the, yeah on the fast stream those are definitely the ones you caught yeah weird i've always wondered how how often it, how long it takes for it to like for fish to get back to normal after catching it i feel like it's a it's a longer time than we think you know I unless think it unless it's like a mag bay or isla maharis like bait ball type scenario where they're so frothed up that but i think in general i think it takes a while yeah i remember talking to tim and he said a lot of times i don't know how if they satellite tagged them or what but a lot of times those big blacks you know they come come to that part of the reef to spawn and after you catch them they'll just swim offshore and just keep going i don't know yeah. if they don't spawn at all or they don't spawn there but he said they just won't they won't come back yeah so i don't know i think it messes with them and they just swim a long way for a longer a longer time than we think so they estimated that fish that we killed at like 27 years old wow wonder how many how many trips up up uh up your way that thing's made it's had to have been all over the place yeah i mean you look at some of the i just saw one that there's two fish tagged with a satellite tag off of here this summer and they both ended up off somewhere between africa and and brazil somewhere down there 27 is not that old i felt like anthony i felt like we talked to that guy from the billfish foundation and i thought he said fish that big were normally like pushing 40 or more I wasn't on that one, so I don't know, but it was. It's, we uh, haven't got, got all the stuff back from the state. They took the head and ovaries and whatever the other thing is in their ear that they take to age them. But we haven't got that back, but just it was kind of like the biologist. Yeah. 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 But wouldn't surprise me if it was more than that. I feel like it got to be more. I mean, man, a fish that big, I feel like you've been swimming around for a lot longer than you think. Yeah. Yeah. It, the bill had like a a weird little it like came up in the middle it was like a weird little rudder that it almost formed into it from just miles of traveling pretty cool you know some of those some of those swordfish that you catch that have like the grooves in them they say from the traveling fish like that thing had like its dorsal was starting to round off a little bit at the top and the bill had the built-in rudder i was like man this thing's a this is a traveler here yeah i've seen some seen some oceans <laughs> that's crazy that's cool man that's fucking that's awesome man yeah man. well we appreciate you joining us chris man it was a it was a pleasure getting to know you you like i said your reputation up here is pretty good from the guys from that been to the dr so i appreciate sure, you joining us dude good meeting you guys and we'll have to stay in touch and 
keep talking fishing. It was a pleasure being a part of the podcast and I enjoy following along with you guys. So keep up the good work and I'll keep following along. Cool, man. We yeah, appreciate man. it. Thanks, bro. Yes, sir. Thanks, y'all, have, y'all have a good evening. Thanks, Chris, Nick, and thank everybody for listening. I think this is going to be a good one. So thank you.